This is the Nearside Low Podcast, brought to you by Missouri Water Polo. For all highlights, scores, and updates, please visit www.mowaterpolo.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes, follow us on Twitter at Nearside Low, or Instagram at Nearside Low underscore podcast. This is the Nearside Low Podcast, and Ray and I just wanted to say so long as we roll into summer break. Um, we will try and do some recordings over uh, over summer, so uh, please uh, keep us in mind. Um, that being said, we want to send a quick congratulations out to the teams that were uh, in the Final Four this year for Missouri Water Polo. Um, in fourth place, uh, the DeSmet uh, Spartans. In third place, the Ladue Rams. In second place, the Parkway West Longhorns. Um, and our Missouri Water Polo Champions for 2018, um, St. Louis University High, the Billikens, or Junior Bills, I guess I should say. So congratulations to all teams. Uh, we just recently finished the All-Star Game. All district awards were out. So congratulations to all the players that earned first, second, third team, um, and all of our Player of the Year awards. So well-deserved for everyone. Um, with that being said, we've got a, a little special interview coming up um, with uh, a former Midwesterner who's uh, now located out in Australia. Uh, Matt Farmer played at uh, Fenwick in high school and then went on to have a, a very illustrious career at UCLA. So we hope you enjoy the listen, Your Side Low Podcast. And we are live with a special guest. Uh, we'll call this round two. Uh, this is the Nearside Low <laughs> podcast with Charlie and Ray. Ray, yeah. And then who is our special guest? Matt Farmer. Matt That's Farmer me. from the Midwest. Mr. Farmer, if you wouldn't mind giving us a little bit of background, introduce yourself. Um, we're just start playing polo and uh, and go from there, and then we'll just start shooting questions at you. Hey everyone, um, my name is Matt Farmer. I grew up in Lagrange, Illinois. Uh, I started playing water polo when I was uh, eight or nine years old for Lions Water Polo Club. I was a swimmer for my whole life. I love the water. I was born and raised in it. When I was a swimmer, I never wanted to try water polo. And then my dad, who played in high school, forced me to try it. And after one practice, I'm sure as many of us had the same experience, uh, I fell in love with it right away. And uh, I played it for Lions Water Polo Club until I was about 13 or 14 and then I switched over to Windy City Water Polo Club because my dad and my uncle and a lot of them were alumni of Fenwick High School and that was the program that was run out of Fenwick High School. I, I went to Fenwick for high school and won three state championships, uh, played under uh, legendary coach Dave Perry who was a huge impact on my life and the way he treated his athletes and the way that he inspired people to be their best selves was something that um, I think has really impacted me even today. And then my senior year of high school, uh, I committed to playing water polo at uh, University of California, Los Angeles, uh, under Coach Adam Wright. And that's where I spent my last four and a half years. I redshirted my freshman year and played my sophomore, junior, senior, and then fifth year. Uh, won three national championships, uh, and it was it was one of the best experiences of my life for sure. I, I've learned I learned so much during that time, and um, it was it was just incredible. And I can never regret making my decision to go to UCLA. So talk talk a little bit about uh, your decision and when you started thinking about playing in college, especially being from the Midwest. When, when did you start thinking that playing at D one level was was a possibility? When I was in eighth grade. I remember my goal 
the whole year was that the next year I was going to play varsity water polo for Fenwick. And then from then on out, I I made varsity my freshman year. And that was kind of when my road started because I knew that early that I wanted to play college. I loved water polo so much and I wanted to get to a level where I could bring it further. So my freshman year, after we won a state championship, I was involved in the Olympic development program. So we were playing around the Midwest, made the team to go out to California and play against some of the zones with higher competition. And it made me realize how behind I was skill-wise and size-wise and knowledge-wise. That's when I realized I had to really step it up if I was going to play in college was just seeing how high the competition level is in California. But I, I still made it my goal. I knew I wanted to play at a high level in college. So while in high school, so how many summers then did you go out and play in California before college? I played, I played in California, eighth grade going into my senior or into my freshman year of high school for Ventura County Premier. I lived with one of with one of the families. And that guy who I lived with in eighth grade ended up being my freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, and fifth year college roommate. So at UCLA, which was pretty funny. But and then in high school, I went to Italy with that same team between my freshman and sophomore year for a couple week trip. And then my senior year of high school, before I went to UCLA, I played for Del Mar Waterpolo, who was coached by Brett Ormsby, who was a um, UCLA alum. And Ryder Roberts, who was going to be my teammate at UCLA, uh, was also on that team. So it seemed like a really good fit for the transition from Illinois high school to the college at, at UCLA. So so were those the primary reasons that you looked at UCLA rather than uh, some of the other D1 schools? Or was there um, other connections as well? When I was in eighth grade and I was living with, uh, I was in Ventura County Premier. M- many of the families were big, big UCLA families. So I was kind of getting the idea that USC was like evil and U- UCLA was good from, from, pretty, from a pretty early age. But when I was a, uh, a senior, I, I wasn't, I was trying to keep all my options open. You know, you never want to get too focused. Um, you want to see the school, you want to visit the places before you decide where to go and really f- decide what the best fit was for you. I took a couple recruiting trips. I went to UC Santa Barbara. I went to Princeton I, and UCLA. And I, I met with uh, coaches here and there. I, I I think it's good if people get an opportunity to go out and watch some of the college teams play. If, I did that during the fall of my senior year and was able to talk with some coaches out there. But really, the, the, the guys on the team is what made me decide that UCLA was the place for me. Everyone was when – when you go to one school – the guys are here and there, like you'd hang out with just the freshmen. But at UCLA, at UCLA, we were hanging out with everybody. The whole team just seemed so tight and like a family. And that's exactly what I wanted out of my experience. And that's exactly what I got. So you being from, uh, you being from the Midwest, obviously it sounds like you played out there quite often before you went into college. Did you have to, did you feel like you had to actively promote yourself to kind of get noticed by coaches or, um, I mean, I guess long story short, could you, is there, is there advice you could give to kids from Chicago or St. Louis that maybe are, are looking to play in college? Being from the Midwest, you got, you have to reach out to coaches. Once you are able to email coaches and call coaches, you, um, you should be reaching out to them and letting them know that you're available. Cause there's a lot of times, I mean, at least for the California schools, they're not going to make the trip all the way out to the Midwest to come watch high school tournaments or stuff. There's some East coast 
coaches that will do that, which is awesome. And that's how you get to know those coaches. But I really, really urge you to reach out. And also, the Olympic Development Program was a great way for kids in the Midwest and the East Coast to get noticed by those coaches because if you make it to a certain level, you will be out in front of those coaches. And that's in, in those selection camps and tournaments is where those coaches are getting their recruits from. Uh, their high school recruits, and yeah, you definitely need to make yourself. You need to. You need to. And I guess endorse yourself. Right. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. So you know, it's it's going to be tougher for anyone from the Midwest to get noticed. So you have to make that that effort. If if uh, playing in college is something that you want to do, um, it's very important to know that uh, not everyone's not going to be coming to you. It's not like football where on July 1st or whatever it is, you're getting a hundred calls. You have to be making yourself available. So when you first met Adam Wright, uh, UCLA's coach, were you finding yourself having to do that same sort of thing? Or was it something where he saw you play and thought, Hey, this, this might work at UCLA. Adam, I was the first to contact Adam. I I had a couple other coaches that had contacted me first, but UCLA wasn't one of those. And he, he had known who I was because I played in, Perth or the youth world championships in Perth, my senior year of high school. And he came to watch. So he knew who I was, but didn't reach out. And when I reached out to him, he was really excited about it. I think some of these coaches want you to reach out to them. And then they had a tournament at Princeton that my father and I went out to watch. And I was able to talk to him then is when he invited me to go on, to come on an unofficial trip just to get a feel for the campus. And then later on is when I went on an official visit to UCLA. So now so. you and I know there was an uh, there was another Fenwick alum I think a couple years older than you is that right that played at UCLA was he was he helping connection and getting you getting you there at all Oh absolutely um the Chris Chris went is his name and uh his whole family um grow, growing up through um Midwest water polo and then through Fenwick Chris was one of my heroes he was really one of the pioneers of getting out there at least in during my generation um, making himself known to coaches in California and stuff. And obviously he went to UCLA and his father, Joe, and his mother, Risa, have been amazing to me as like uh, Joe has a pool in his backyard and there's days even on like New Year's when it's zero degrees, he'll invite us over to play some water polo, like hone our skills. And <laughs> the guy just loves, loves water polo and has been such a help to me. And then Chris going to UCLA, obviously – had some sort of influence on me and uh, the way he talked about it and the way everyone was so nice to me when I went on my visit, uh, something that really helped me decide and made it very easy. So let's talk a little bit about uh, when you got to UCLA, obviously coming from Illinois, player of the year, three-time state champion, um, having had all those experiences played in California. First day of water polo practice, what were your your impressions getting in the pool with all those other athletes from UCLA? Uh, it's pretty overwhelming, honestly. Um, I I had been playing with kids my own age. So I, I was when I was coming up, I was used to playing with kids older than me. But once I got to um, a high enough level in high school, I'm playing against kids my own age that a lot of them are better than me at UCLA. And then I'm going into an environment now where not only are there kids my age that are a lot stronger than me and bigger than me, but there's also kids two, three, four years older than me that are very, very experienced players. And it, it was pretty overwhelming. And it, it was also humbling where I realized I, I had a long, long way to go if I was going to be able to play for this team. So my fall quarter freshman year, uh, redshirted and basically just tried to learn as much as I could um, about 
the system that our coach was trying to implement so that when my time came, I was able, I wouldn't be any steps behind. And, and so was, it, Go ahead. was it, yeah. So, I mean, was it more like the X's and O's? Was it more the rigor of practice? What was like, what was so different that you didn't feel necessarily maybe prepared for? So there were things I definitely was prepared for and there, there are things I wasn't. The things I was prepared for, uh, which was super helpful for me was uh, swimming. The, we swam a lot at UCLA. We swam about two or three grand a day, I'd say. Um, but we did the same kind of stuff at Fenwick. Uh, swim season, and even during water polo season, we swam a ton, which helped me a lot when it came to transitioning from swimming to doing water polo. But when it came to the water polo, there was a million things I hadn't experienced before. The X's and O's stuff, um, different defenses, five-man blocking was something that I'd struggled with greatly and continued to struggle with throughout my career was shot blocking people and where to be in your shot block to force the balls to the goalie. Because growing up, we'd always just said, like, you know, like, throw a hand up. We never had a system. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. We never had a system of where your block has to be. And, like, your goalie is trusting you to take one part of the goal so that he can cover the other parts of the goal. And so that was tough for me. Uh, defenses were also tough. But we practiced uh, so much, it started to catch on pretty quick. The The actual training is, is very, very, very intense. Um, the water polo is – like nothing I had exper- had experienced before, but I, I loved it. I loved how intense it was. And um, I think that we had the most competitive training environment in the country, um, which obviously made everyone better every day, which is something I think is missing a little bit in high school water polo. Uh, when you're splitting up groups or whatever, there's a lot of times there's one group that's way better than the other. So your competition isn't as high during training. And I think that's something that we have to work on in Illinois and in the Midwest is creating more competitive training environments. Was there a specific skill? Uh, I mean, you've talked you talked a little bit about some of the things you struggled with, but was there a specific skill that you identified that you thought, like at UCLA or in California, they did much better than than in the Midwest that was just a little bit different for you to adjust to? I'd say uh, just the way they move on drives and when they're going to shoot. Uh, the guys all have amazing legs and have been just training these these skills for, for years. And uh, so on both on drive offense and drive defense, it's, if you're not in very good body position, there's a guy on your back and going to the goal in a second. You know, um, So that was something I really had to – train well i was very lucky to have grown up and uh played under marcus meyer who was my club coach who was really really he really beat into our heads uh, was defensive body position and keeping your hips up always not giving anyone leverage so that helped me in the long run but it was still something i needed to work on a ton because once you get to this level the the talent that some of these guys have is uh is pretty amazing in their their ability to uh take advantage of your mistakes so i'd say um the way they the way they shoot too is much different than the way we shoot in the Midwest. I never came across anyone who could shoot like any person on my college team in Illinois until I came to the until I went to California. So is, I think is, is that is that mechanics or what what what's the difference you think? Uh, I I'd say it's it's their fundamentals. Uh, the way they shoot, uh, they're always on their legs, and it's also um, the defenses that they have to face. So like I was talking about earlier, shot blocking and five-man systems, those teams out there practice it a lot. And so these guys learn how, like where the weak points are on defenses, where 
the shot block's supposed to be and if they can beat that side or if the goalie's off center and stuff like that. Uh, elaborate on what you've mentioned, uh, the five-man system. Like, what do you, uh, what exactly does that entail without going into too much detail? You've got five guys in the water, the other team has six. It's like do or die. And you're, you can't count on your goalie to take the entire cage. You're, and you're, so you're referencing six on five defense, though, yes? Like Correct. man down. Okay, yeah. all right. And so exactly. kind of blocking is a unit then. All right, all right. Good. Exactly, yes. Okay. So obviously an awesome career at UCLA, three uh, college championships, and a lot of, a lot of great games against high-level competition. Talk a little bit about uh, so this last, this last championship game, uh, the win over USC. Talk a little bit about how playing in a college national championship game compares to like the state championship games you played in at Fenwick. The state championship games uh, at Fenwick were, were amazing to play in and the fans were always great, but you don't really feel the gravity uh, of, of the situation uh, like in a college final, like when you're, when I was at, um, when we were at Utangsu Aquatic Center at USC for the national championship, one side is completely USC, the other side is completely UCLA, and this whole year and the years that you spent in college, you you really feel this personal rivalry between those two schools. Not only is it the national championship game, and there's all this weight on us because of how hard we've trained and all the work we've put in, but also there's this this really, really brutal rivalry between these two schools, and it's really cool that we always get to play against them in, in, in dire situations. But I'd say uh, when, you're in, when I was in high school, I felt confident about the way I was going to play or about myself going into those state championship games or those high-level situations, uh, but not as confident as I felt in college. And I think that's just because um, of how much we prepared and how well we believed we were prepared to face the challenge that was ahead of us. Uh, so playing in a, in a college final, it really is um, – it's, it's unlike anything else I've ever experienced. So talk a little bit about the preparation and, and what – actually goes into a, a college season in, in college. I mean, most most of the people listening to this are familiar with high school where you're practicing for two or maybe two, three hours a day. But talk a little bit about um, like a typical schedule for UCLA during the season. Well, first of all, the it's it's all year. Right after season, we get um, a month or whatever the Christmas break is. And when we come back for our winter quarter, it goes and it goes for the rest of the year. So it's lighter hours in the winter and spring, but that's really when you get your your strength training in. Um, when you start, when you try to put on size and hone your um, the skills that are going to make you successful during the year. So like drive defense, one on one defense, shot blocking, stuff like that. So during season, we start during our camp, which is three weeks of double days it's during our summer vacation because ucla is on the quarter system so we start later than um the other schools during camp we'll go we can have weights well so we'll have practice at 7 40 in the morning and we'll go to 11 so our practice starts at 8 to 11 but we get there 20 minutes early no matter what so that we can have a proper stretch because taking care of your body is another thing that's so so important um, when you're training this much. So we'll go 7.40 to 11. We'll have like an hour or two break. And then we'll have uh, weight, weight lifting from an, uh, an hour to two hours. And then another three-hour practice in the afternoon, usually from four to seven. So that's just during our 
our camp, like our really, really rigorous training. Once school starts, we have Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday training from 7.40 to 10. Then you go to class. Then you have weights 3 to 4.15 and then have practice from whenever you get from the weight room to the pool until 7 o'clock. So did you feel, you know, and I would think there was a, a, definite, a definite like method. Was there a buildup? And then, you know, when it came down to, you know, you, you guys playing in the NCAA championship and stuff, like, was there a taper? Like, was this all mapped out or was it kind of just, you know, you know, kill everybody? Oh, and... oh. Uh, no, no, no. Every, everything that our coach did was with, uh, was a purpose and everything was thought through really well. So at the beginning of the year, like camp, we're putting in tons and tons of hours and training as hard as we possibly can every day. So the beginning of the season's kind of like that too. But once we transition to school, we back down a little bit where we have Wednesday, Wednesday mornings off and Obviously, this whole time, I'm spending probably one to two hours a day in the training room when I have time, just rehabbing my body. And then when we have a game, on Monday, we'll have a long and strong swim. And then on Tuesday, we'll sprint pretty hard to get our heart rates up and stuff um, in the mornings, this is. And then Thursday and Friday, depending on when the game is, we might have Friday morning off if we have a Saturday game. Or if we have a Friday game, we might have Thursday morning off just to get us a little extra rest. So there is sort of a taper, yeah. But we, we work pretty hard the whole season, and when there's uh, games co- that come up that aren't quite as, as challenging, we'll train really hard that week, play when we're tired, so that we get used to uh, playing in, in during while, play, playing while being tired and, and under duress. So that was important for us to create those um situations in training and out of training okay well so i was gonna i i talk a lot to my athletes about uh you, you they've got to learn to be comfortable with being uncomfortable and you just use the word duress and you know you guys train hard against maybe you know the week of an opponent that you guys you know probably are going to roll over or beat pretty handily so that you can kind of kind of train for that so was that stuff that you did in practice every every day like were, were there like challenges that that challenge you mentally Oh, absolutely. Oh my gosh. Uh, in, in training, I mean, we would, uh, we had some, some days that we called condition shooting where you would do, um, let's say we do legs with a weight ball and go back and forth until you were on your butt. And then you had to make three, you had to go in and no rules, wrestle someone in center. And you had to score three goals before you were allowed to stop. And, um, that's because you need, if if you're yeah right what like what you said you need to be comfortable being un, uncomfortable you need to be at your best when your best is needed at your wits end so it's it's the same it's it's muscle memory really if you put yourself in those situations and you're able to do it that's how you can have the real confidence to step up in a game and hit that shot because you've done it so many times before in training under the same circumstances duress wise so that's that's really what he tried to build in us was confidence that we could hit shots and play our best when we were tired and when we were hurting. So was that mental toughness kind of that you're talking about something that you felt like you came in to UCLA with or something that was learned over time and was valuable to uh, your performance in the pool? The things – so uh, my coach at UCLA, Adam Wright, tried – is is – trying to revolutionize the sport of water polo when it comes to the mental aspect of the game. When I came into UCLA, I don't know what it is about. Is It might be Midwest, the Midwest, or maybe uh, it's because I came in having so much less experience than everyone else. But the ability to push my body and to work as hard as I possibly can is, is something I've never had trouble with, was was 
being able to keep pushing when it when it hurts the most. But something that did change a ton were uh, a couple tools that were very, very important to us at UCLA. And one of those is emotional control. So it can be in training. Uh, it can be in a game. But let's say in training, and where I, with, if I'm not playing as well as I should be, I, I tend to get really down on myself. And that's something that I had to change a lot when I got to UCLA was that I have to let things go so that I could be my best moving forward. You, you can never get too high and you can never get too low. The same thing goes in a game. Like if, if a ref makes a bad call, you can't look at him and get all get frustrated because that might cause something to happen on defense that, that you'll regret. So a good example is my state championship game my senior year. I got three kickouts and I was losing my control. And I, I, that's something I've regretted ever since that game. And that's something that I've had to change a lot in my game was, you know, if, if you just stay clear ahead and keep your needle straight, you're going to be fine. Was that was that something that you self-identified or you, the UCLA coach said, hey, you know, Matt, I, there's something I noticed, you know, in practice and in games? Or was it something that he just preached to the whole team and it was basically about whether you bought into it or not? So our sophomore year, we brought in a um, sports psychologist who talked about those those themes. So emotional control is one of them to the whole team. And um, the more and more time he spent with us, the more I realized that it was a problem that I had. And the more, um, and my coaches started to notice it too. So after every season, we have um, individual meetings, and that is that was always a point of concern uh, in mind was that I get too frustrated with myself, and that affects the way I play. So when I get to that position, I, I, something that's been very powerful for me was to just take a couple deep breaths, slow my heart rate down, and get back to the job. And uh, I think I've gotten much much better at it and i i think um i if i had had that tool of emotional control earlier i would have been um, a lot better for it and that's a skill i think i mean as, as a coach myself that i mean you you look out at especially at the high school age level you look out and see kids that are awesome players but when when something goes wrong they, they lose it and i think that's a very interesting point you make there just because being able to have that emotional control i think is, is huge and definitely makes a big difference. I mean, absolutely. Even especially high schoolers too, you know, they're at that age when their emotions are kind of all over the place and it's a little harder to control. But you, if you have the self-awareness to realize that this isn't what's going to make me my best self, then I think uh, you can catch it. But it, it's the lack of knowledge about it. I think that, you know, people or they aren't, I mean, when we lose our control at UCLA, we, we heard about it and we got <laughs> You know, uh, we weren't going to do it again. So I think maybe, um, you know, kids aren't seeing consequences as as blatantly as we were at UCLA. But if that's something that you can realize, then I think, I mean, it's it's I can't even express how much it's helped my, me as a player and as a person. Um, but I think it's something that would be huge for for kids to really think about. And then, uh, so after wrapping up your career at UCLA uh, this last fall, you went over and are playing now in Australia. Talk a little bit about what you're doing now and uh, what what your hopes are for the future. Um, so I just finished playing in the Australian National League. I played for the Hunter Hurricanes, which is a team that is run out of Newcastle, Australia. Um, I got involved with this team because uh, one of my college roommates who played with me at UCLA is from this area. I'm actually living with him and his parents um, here and playing. Um, we finished fourth overall in the Australian National League. We were ranked second going in. 
it, it it's been an awesome experience. Everyone down here has been so so nice, and um, I've made some some lifelong friends for sure. Uh, the water polo uh, was. Uh, not quite as intense as UCLA, but it's hard. Uh, I, I imagine it would be hard to uh, match that. <laughs> so it's been it's been a really good experience, and uh, I'm heading home for uh, just a couple days, and then I'm going to New Zealand to uh, coach water polo and kind of just you know s- see a little bit uh, of the world before I start working um, when I get home. Uh, my hope is you know get a job when I get home, and I'm not sure whether I'm going to come back to Chicago or LA, but I, I guess we'll see. I have a couple months to find out, so. <laughs> right, right. Well, we'd love to have you back in the Midwest. Yeah, right. Um, definitely understand. So, uh, just wanted to tie this now back to back to the Midwest. So, you've talked a lot about uh, your experiences going from the Midwest to California and then beyond. Talk a little bit about for those athletes who who want to play in college. Like what? Like what should they be doing now? What are some recommendations you have for them? Okay, so first I can start with watch as much high-level water polo as you can. So you can go online to El Cuervo Water Polo and watch um, European leagues or, um, you know what, college games are all over YouTube. But just watch the players and watch their tendencies and, and um, even with your coaches and uh, so you get different ideas of how you want to change your game. Secondly, is uh, what I was talking about earlier is um, trying to hone those those mental tools because I think those are the most important tools. Like I said, emotional control, no winching at refs. Don't get too down or too high on yourself. You just have to keep going forward and try to be the best person that you can be for your team. And I think that's very very important. Is that um, this is an unselfish game. It's a team game. You can't do it by yourself. You try to ha- you have to try to promote all the players around you. And then another one of the mental tools that I haven't talked about is mindful presence. So that means it's similar to emotional control where um, you have to live in each moment. So you're giving all you can to the moment that you're in now, where if it's in a game, if you miss a shot, doesn't matter. You're present. You're playing defense. If you get scored on, doesn't matter. You're going up the pool and you're going to play the best offense you can. So that's been huge for me, both in water polo and in school. Being present in class, being engaged in, in in learning from your coaches and from your teachers is going to help you down the road a ton. And then um, just play as much as possible. Playing in the Midwest, for me, something that helped a ton of with experience was playing uh, Masters. So um, they had a Masters team that was run out of Fenwick called New World Order. And there were a lot of former Fenwick players, former um, brother rice players, former guys that had played in college and had some experience that I was able to learn from and playing against people bigger than stronger than you is always going to make you better. Awesome. Awesome advice. And then as far as for any of the coaches and referees in, in the Midwest, what are some things you think in the future uh, could help to grow the sport in the area and, and make, make the quality of polo even better? Um, I haven't been around super recently, but something for me, that um we could get better at uh, is is at least officiating wise is letting them play a little bit more because the game is very very physical uh when i got to college and i i felt like when i was in illinois there's a lot of times i was trying to be physical it, it doesn't mean be dirty it means be aggressive and be physical and i think that uh we kind of don't let that play out as much as we should in the midwest and kids get a little shell-shocked when they get to college um on a coaching level I think, uh, you know, trying just to learn as much as you can whenever there's 
high level coaches in town for clinics or whatever, go and learn from these guys, go and learn from guys that have a lot of experience and, and, you know, talk to other coaches and talk to your players about how they'd think, you know, it's a collaborative unit and implementing systems like, like I was talking about earlier on five man or on defense um, is something that I think is just going to increase game IQ across, across the board, you know, try to try to have everyone on the same page. um, Even if, it's not maybe not the exact right one or whatever. As long as everyone's on the same page, people people's IQs are going to increase. All right, good. Well, I mean, all great advice. I know I'm going to – I am definitely going to – the mindful presence and the not being too high or too low, I, I that is something that uh, I'm going to definitely talk to my kids about. Yeah, the, the last thing I want to say yeah. before we wrap, we, wrap, we wrap this up is uh, June 2, uh, Matt, I know you've been nominated for the uh, Peter J. Cutito Award, which is given to – uh, the top college water polo player. So um, I know all of us in the Midwest will be pulling it for you on that one. Oh, I know. Cool. Just, just, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, it's it just been fun to watch. Uh, I mean, I, when I was coaching this winter, able to tell all, all the kids to go home and watch the national championship game and know that there was a Midwest player um, that was going to have a strong uh, presence in that game and uh, actually, I mean, scored the game-winning goal in that game. So uh, it's been awesome to see you continue to thrive and play top-level water polo, and uh, we really enjoyed having you on tonight to share share your your input and advice. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on here. I mean, it's an honor to represent the Midwest in my school, and you know, um, just letting people know that it's it's possible to get out there and really make an impact on a on a high level if you if you put your mind to it and have those those proper tools in place. Great. All right. Well, this is the uh, Nearside Low Podcast. This is Charlie. This is Ray. This is Matt. And we are signing off.